Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit Stompings Podcast 120. EverQuest Next has had its debut presentation, and it looks freaking amazing. So many good ideas to talk about. They started the presentation with what they called My EQ Stories, which was a bunch of people who sent in stories about EverQuest, I guess, what happened to them in the game. So in the second section, I tell one of my EQ stories. And that's it for this time. I have no movie. So this podcast is just all about EverQuest. Enjoy the show. EverQuest Next seems to be keeping its name. Of the hour and a half long stream, I was only really unimpressed with about 20 minutes, 15 of which were just a guy doing sand art. I don't know whose idea that was, thinking that would be interesting to the viewers, especially viewers on Twitch, but that was a really terrible idea. That's the guy who is in America's Got Talent, so if you saw that, you know, it was that guy, I think, from last season. So it's really amazing stuff if you keep it, you know, in short bursts, like a minute, minute and a half. After that, you know, first, second or third minute, it became really boring really quickly and kind of killed the mood for the presentation beginning. But enough rambling about the stream in general. There are lots of cool next-gen ideas that EverQuest Next is bringing to the table, hopefully, depending on if they implement them correctly or not. And I have some notes, and I'll just kind of ramble about the various things in no particular order. The first thing they have is a ton of different classes, and you are sort of encouraged to mix and match and split class as you like. During the presentation, it was stated there would be eight classes to choose from as a starting pick, with each class having a handful of skills. They didn't say how many that was. And that there were 40 more that you could find out in the world. Glancing at the wiki for EverQuest 2, it looks like there are four primary classes and 24 subclasses. So there are six sort of subclasses under each primary class. So my theory is that EverQuest Next will probably take those classes and pretty much split them in half. And from that, they will have the classes they are putting into EverQuest Next. Because the numbers seem to match up, and so that seems most logical since they are taking, you know, a large number of skills and abilities and sort of paring them down, as it were. They also stated that the abilities would be unique, so you won't have something like a mage who has fireball, and then maybe a wizard who has iceball, and those powers, you know, wouldn't be the exact same thing. If such things existed, and I just, you know, made that up off the top of my head, they would be very different powers that acted very differently. I found the video on the class panel, and I found quite a bit more details on some of the class stuff. Your class will determine the armor, weapons you can use, weapons abilities, and character abilities. While you can pick your class abilities, you do not pick the weapon abilities or the weapon type. That isn't to say that each 
weapon pairing just has four options. They kind of sort of implied that would actually not be the case. But I think they're just specifying that a warrior who has sword and shield would have different skill options for sword and shield as opposed to somebody like a paladin who is using sword and shield. Another interesting thing to note was that they seem to imply that all of the items would have their own sort of stats that they would boost and feed towards. So in one example they said they wanted to use a teleportation power but it took too much energy implying that energy and or mana would be in the game, which is kind of obvious to assume. But they mentioned that maybe the player would find a ring that greatly reduces the cost of teleportation powers, and so something like that would pair well with the ability you choose. They did show a picture with four sort of spots, which I assumed would be, you know, where you put your powers. And they said that all powers and abilities would fit into four categories, and those categories were attack, defense, movement, and utility. And it kind of looked like the class you picked would sort of restrict which of those you could have. Like as example, the rogue picture showed two attack power slots and then two movement slots, whereas the warrior picture showed one of each category. So it could be that's kind of how they sort of tailor your multi-classing experience. But in a few different points, they did say you can pick whatever powers from whatever class. So I'm not quite sure how those pairings will work in terms of your weapon, armor, and abilities are, you know, defined by your class, yet, you know, you have multi-classing where you can supposedly pick whatever. A little bit confusing right now. They did also mention that new classes or new items could always be added in the future. It would actually not surprise me at all to learn that these eight total options are based on the PlayStation 4 controller because they do have, you know, pretty easy access to eight buttons, as it were, and a few shoulder buttons. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, EverQuest Next was also announced for PlayStation 4, and that's part of why they chose eight. It also would not surprise me if, for the PC, there was at least an option to have a MOBA style control where you're using like the numbers one through four and then something like Q, E, R, and F for the other four abilities. That wouldn't surprise me because that is a little bit quicker than using, you know, one through eight. Sort of the new school way I think many people are adopting. I'm sure we'll learn more about how classes and items and abilities all work in the future. They did say they will be revealing more stuff over the next few months. So it looks like they're going to ramp up the amount of information we have pretty quickly. The animation style is what I would call sort of, I guess you could say high quality computer graphics cell shaded style. I mean, obviously it's, you know, graphics on a computer, but some games go for like, you know, a realistic look and other games go for a, a totally animated cartoon style look. But this, I think, kind of looks a lot like the high-quality Disney animated stuff that was done on computer, or maybe, you know, some stuff that maybe Pixar would do, things like that. If you have played Bioshock Infinite, something like Elizabeth has a very similar look and feel to how the characters they showed off in EverQuest Next look. The animation of the emotes are just insane. The quality is, like, through the roof. And it's not just, you know picking up an eyebrow very gently. Like I said, it is very similar to what they do in animated cartoons 
Or, you know, like I said, with Bioshock Infinite, there was a lot of emotion displayed by Elizabeth. That looks very similar to what they're doing with EverQuest next. They're going for very destructible environments. Some areas obviously won't be fully destructible, but they're trying to make almost everything destructible to some point. Like in one section, they show off just everything being destroyed. The people are walking around. There's big spells going off. The spells are just tearing apart walls, and the ground is kind of flying up and getting craters put in it. But in another part, they describe, you know, if there's a player town, and they don't want this town to be destroyed very easily, it might take much, much more powerful either spells or weapons or monsters to, you know, break the things down. It wouldn't just crumble if players walk around. Otherwise, players would just be stupid and destroy towns, you know, just because they could and everything would be flat all the time. Speaking of being flat, the world is actually not flat. They have multiple layers, and in one part of the stream they show, I would guess it's kind of like a a low-level boss creature, and it casts this spell that makes a big explosion, and the players basically fall through this hole that is made in the ground down to the next lower level. So it's possible you could be fighting somewhere and you blow a hole in the wall and it opens up to a cavern next door. Or you blow a hole in the floor and it opens up to a bigger cavern in a lower level of the world. And they showed this very cool art that had, you know, at least four or five different layers to the world. So they're giving the example of maybe, you know, some people want to go explore. They'll take some mining equipment and go look around the world. Maybe they'll find a lost city. And so the world isn't just what you see on the surface. Also, they are saying in addition to the world being destructible, it also will be changing quite a bit over time. They said, you know, random events may happen that cause one area of a place to collapse while it'll cause another area to open up. So if you go through it with one character and you decide to start an alt, you could see an entirely different world with that alt character. One thing they pointed out towards the dynamic and changing shape of the world was what they are calling rally calls. And a rally call could be a phased thing. They didn't talk about it too much, probably because, you know, the details aren't quite narrowed down already. But one example they gave would be maybe the founding of a city. Maybe the players will find a small camp that has just a few tents. And maybe the rallying call for the area is for players to bring in resources. And, you know, after a while, players bring in enough resources, maybe that camp will turn into a small forted area. And then the rallying call could change to maybe, you know, players bringing in more resources, bringing in a mine, and defending against small incursion by monsters. And after that rallying call, maybe the little fort will turn into a town that is, you know, a proper town. Or maybe they don't protect the town from the monsters, and the monsters start getting more and more vicious and the town starts getting destroyed. Events like this could change the world, you know, permanently. So that seems all very cool if that is implemented well. That's kind of another thing that Guild Wars 2 tried to do, but didn't really do all that well. They had sort of these public quests that would happen, and then players would defeat them, and they'd go one way or the other. But with Guild Wars 2, I was disappointed in that it just felt like kind of a amusement park thing. It would happen, and you'd go away, and you'd come back 15 minutes later, and it was happening again. It just wasn't really that cool, and it didn't really seem to have a real point. With EverQuest next, hopefully that will not be the case. Hopefully they will be a bit more permanent, 
They will take a bit more longer to evolve. And hopefully due to what they are calling dynamic AI, you know, the world will stay changed. The example they gave with the dynamic AI is that they aren't specifically programming places where the bad guys will stay. They are, in the example they used, programming orcs with things like the orcs do not like cities because they don't like guards. And they prefer you know, lonely areas that are easy to prey upon players at. So they're just going to take a bunch of orcs, spawn them in position X. And from position X, they're going to wander, you know, to places that meet those needs. Say they set up a camp and, you know, they ransack a bunch of players and they're doing well in that camp. Maybe the players hear about it, they start beating the orcs down. And then the orcs, you know, move because they don't like getting beat up so much. So hopefully this kind of dynamic AI will also make, you know, the world change in ways of which monsters are migrating to which areas. And sure, they're always going to have their preferred settings. And sure, they probably will have some larger camps that are, you know, a little bit more permanent. But hopefully this means that if you run from point A to point B, you know, maybe one day it's got a camp here, here, and here. And maybe the next day you go down it and, you know, some of those camps have changed. So that is also very promising as well. They are launching something called EverQuest Landmark before the end of this year. So in the next few months, basically. And with Landmark, you'll be able to sort of create your own environments. And they said that sometimes they might have some contests in the future. And, you know, player-generated content might be good enough that, you know, they say, okay, these top sort of maybe five or ten are what get the most votes we'll pull these into the game. So it's possible that EverQuest Next will have, you know, some areas that were created by players, you know, down the line. I'm actually wondering if EverQuest Next Landmark won't be sort of a early beta slash way for the developers to get a lot of work done by players, you know, ahead of EverQuest Next actually launching. That way, you know, a lot of the core of the engine can be tested. They can get a lot of you know, areas, we need this kind of area built. Hey, players, you know, what do you got? And maybe, you know, a bunch of players will help them and do, I don't know, you know, say 50% of an area. You know, that could greatly cut down on the development time of EverQuest Next. And, you know, it might be kind of cool if you build an area and say, hey, that's that's an area I did. So that could be very cool to see. I'm sure we'll hear more about EverQuest Next Landmark in the months to come and maybe what role that plays in EverQuest Next proper. The website says the game is free to play. It doesn't say if it's free to download, but I get the feeling from what they've shown off and what they've talked about, this could very well be a 100% free to download and play game. It does look really awesome and really polished. I don't think anyone's going to have an issue with it being free to play and free to download and saying, oh, it's going to be really crappy because of that. Because I don't think that's the case. I think it looks really amazing. And of all of the MMO RPGs that are coming out, you know, in the works now, EverQuest Next has skyrocketed to the top of my list. I am very anxiously awaiting it. And hopefully all of the ideas that they have promised will work out okay. Or, you know, maybe even better than okay. That would be great. And hopefully, too, there won't be too many microtransactions that, you know, actually are pay-to-win, as it were because that would be kind of sad. 
But I'm sure as more news comes out about EverQuest Next, I will happily ramble about it. Because so far, I have been very extremely impressed with what I've seen. The EverQuest Next presentation started with pretty much a lot of stories from people who had sent in, I guess, interesting things that had happened to them in EverQuest, as well as, I suppose, EverQuest 2. One of my, I suppose, more interesting stories is about when I would hold service in the Oasis of Row. On Sundays, I would put on my red robes, which actually had really bad stats, but they looked great. Back with EverQuest 1, stats weren't as important as they are in current MMOGs. Back then, I think, totally naked, I probably had like 85% of my stats. Whereas now, you know, 95% of your total stats are made up by the equipment you wear, so it's completely different. Anyways, I started doing this because I was almost maximum level. And at that point, it took me days and days to grind out what they called a bub of experience, which was, I think, like 20% of a level. And there was also a death penalty. So if you died, I think the first death wasn't too bad, but if you died a second time, you could pretty much lose like one or two whole bubbles of experience. So since I was soloing a lot, you know, it was very easy for me to lose a couple days to a whole week's worth of experience if I died, you know, a couple times. So I decided as part of that, I would spend, you know, Saturday and or Sunday just kind of chilling, taking it easy, not pushing too many risks. And it dawned upon me that Sunday I would just kind of hang out and hold service, quote unquote. So as I said, I I would put on my red robes and I would go to the Oasis of Roe, which was a zone which was basically, I think, level 15 to 20. So there was a lot of, you know, younger people hanging out. And, you know, most people would have a group, but there were a lot of people soloing and just trying to level up. But I figured, you know, not everyone would have a group, and of groups, you know, sometimes they might not have a healer. So I just spent the day, or, you know, a good portion of the day, hanging out and mostly buffing, but also healing people. I preferred buffing to healing, because if I was healing, you know, as my main thing, then people who were soloing would just, you know, run back and forth and just use me as basically a heal bot. So I preferred to, you know, just kind of buff people and send them on their way. But people say they like hearing my stories, and I thought I would tell this story in particular, because these days, most MMOGs have buffs and heals that work only if you're in the group. The days of doing something like holding service in EverQuest and, you know, buffing somebody. And back then, you know, the buff would last like half an hour or an hour, depending on the buff. So, you know, getting an almost max level buff, you know, when you're pretty young was a really huge deal. I do recall there were several different tiers of buffs. They kind of would give you a new one of, you know, the same kind of buff every few levels. And I remember that the, like, top three had pretty pricey component costs. So I wouldn't give people, you know, the highest level buff, but I would give them, 
it was probably like a level 30 to 40 buff. You know, and again, they're like level 15, maybe level 20. There were also some sand giants that would cruise around that zone. It wasn't really the place to hunt sand giants as higher level people would do. But these, if I recall, were level 40 to 50. So they were significantly higher than the main, you know, main bulk of players in the zone. Again, I think that might be interesting for people to hear about because back in the day, you know, that wasn't completely uncommon for EverQuest. But with most modern MMOGs, you know, pretty much the monsters in the zone are all about the same level. Not any one of them is too much higher. And certainly not like this where something, you know, triple your level might come along and one-shot you and start killing a bunch of people. And it would be really terrible in those early days before anybody was actually high level. You would see, you know, a bad scene in the Oasis of Rowan. There'd be like 15 or 20 bodies laying around from, you know, a giant wandering around smushing people. You know, because somebody would train them and then, you know, they'd be in an area where they not normally are and so a bunch of people would get killed. So, you know, part of my holding service would be, you know, if a giant got loose, people would be like, ah, help, help, come, come save us, help. And, you know, I'd be like, okay, here I come. And, you know, it was soloable for me. It was kind of a challenge. But, you know, I, I would do that as well. And when I was holding service, you know, if people did need a res, you know, back then... It wasn't like, you know, the games nowadays where you respawn pretty much where you are, you respawn, you know, not too far away. Back with EverQuest, you would respawn at what they call your bind point. And that could be, you know, really far away. Sometimes people would bind right next to a vendor. And that could be, you know, in a city, you know, three, four zones away. It could be 20 minutes of running to get back to their body. So I would usually tell people, you know, okay, bring me the body and I'll, I'll res him here. Because another very different thing about EverQuest was it would take me like 15 minutes to get full mana. And I think even the lower level res would take like 50 to 85% of my mana, depending, you know, what kind of res I did. So it's like I would have to sit there for, you know, 5, 10 minutes to get up the mana to res them. So if they could get the body to me, you know, it, it was a fair trade. Over time, people had learned more and more about, you know, my holding service. And I heard, you know, other people started holding service, you know, as they got to, you know, high level and maximum level. And other people would also, you know, hold service in different areas. They would hold service in different days. And I'd heard even some of them, you know, also had their own outfit they held service in. I was also kind of surprised once somebody came up to me and, you know, was shocked that I'm still here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been here all day. And they said, no, no, you're still here like a year later, and this is my second alt I've been bringing through here. I knew you with my first body. So I had obviously become something, you know, people remember through time, you know, even though they hadn't seen me in, you know, months and months. I always have a saying, which I think I've mentioned before, but, you know, I'll remind people of it here because this story kind of, you know, reminds me of it. And the saying goes, levels and loot don't matter. At some point, you will have left the game or the server will be turned off. All that matters is what you take with you outside of the game. So, you know, part of my reason for holding service was, you know, you got to remember there are real people behind these avatars who have real feelings, and you should, you know, treat them accordingly. As I mentioned back then with EverQuest, there was a death penalty, and if people died, you know, you'd lose a lot of experience, especially if you 
lost the body, as it were. It would decay after a certain amount of time. But if you couldn't get to it, you couldn't get that experience back from the body. So, you know, a high-level res, you know, brought back most of their experience. So doing something like that, you know, you really get noticed and people remember you. And even though, you know, that experience doesn't matter long-term, you know, my being a nice person and helping other people out, you know, is something they might remember. And it actually would not surprise me to hear, you know, if there were a few people out there who were on the ECI server and who do remember me holding service, you know, some 13 years ago. So another My EverQuest story, which I would probably say is actually my first EverQuest story, is kind of a little bit involved, and I don't think a lot of people will be able to relate to it. But I thought I might tell it to you, just in case you find it interesting. To understand this story, you have to go all the way back to before EverQuest existed. You have to go all the way back to when I was a small, small child. And when I grew up, I was always fascinated by myths and legends. In school, we read a lot of Greek and Roman myths. On my own, I would read about, you know, things like the grim fairy tale myths. I was into dinosaurs. You know, all kids are into dinosaurs. I was into, you know, standard sort of medieval fantasy stuff. And so I spent sort of my whole life immersed in this sort of, you know, fantasy world that I knew you know, it didn't really exist in the real world. I mean, the closest thing to dinosaurs we have is, you know, maybe something like sharks or alligators. So for me, that was always stuff that I would never really see. A little later when video games came along, sort of when I was in my early to teenage years, you know, we did sort of get imagery of mythological creatures and various fantasy worlds. But gaming in a 2D world, especially when it was just pretty much arcade games, was a very different thing than it is now to game in, you know, something like an MMOG. And again, everything was, you know, 2D and flat and looked very, I suppose you could say, like every other kind of art medium. You know, like, it's not going to be as awesome as a, a real-life picture. You know, it's low-quality computer image. But, you know, it, it was something similar. It was something like I'd seen before. Especially since, you know, around that time, D&D also came out. I had, you know, the basic D&D manuals to look through and see the different monsters and check out their different stats and imagine what that stuff would be like. So when we got to, you know, 1999, and a little bit before, you know, because I had the gaming magazines, so I knew it was coming for quite a while before that. But when we got to 99, and EverQuest was the first full 3D online game that I played that was, you know, massively multiplayer. It was a very, very different thing. Now being able to be, you know, immersed in such a world, seeing these things that I never thought I'd see, you know, pretty early into my gaming time, maybe half a dozen hours into the game, when I saw, you know, a griffin for the first time and saw it flying above me and making the flapping sound, you know, I had to pause because it brought me to, you know, tears. Because my whole life I had imagined 
you know, this great fantasy world that didn't really exist in the real world. And while, you know, as a young boy going to camp, you know, I could shoot guns, I could shoot arrows, I could, you know, pretend what an adventure would really be like. But now, through this game, you know, here's this monster, it looks, you know, very real, and it looked and seemed far more real than I ever thought I could imagine or would see in my lifetime. So the original EverQuest basically became sort of my gateway to realizing just how special, you know, 3D games would be. And I realized, you know, this is the first world I'm going to see of, you know, a great many worlds. And I think that's really important that that's something, you know, that people nowadays kind of take for granted. In the news this time, Elysium is now out. I will totally talk about that next week. Unless I suppose it gets really horrible reviews, which would completely surprise me. Percy Jackson Sea of Monsters is now out. I haven't mentioned that one before because the first one was kind of really young kid oriented. I did kind of like it though. It was very similar to, you know, Harry Potter and or... Some of us that are older, you know, might remember the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew mysteries. You know, it's sort of similar to that kind of line and sort of, you know, age target. But I don't know, I might go see it. There are a few actors who are among my favorites who have appeared in recent trailers. So I might go see it to see them on the big screen. I don't know, I'll probably just wait for it, you know, on rental. But I don't know, I might see what the reviews say. And if you are into Percy Jackson, you might want to go check it out. Looks pretty cool. Kick-Ass 2 is due out on the 16th, which is next week. And that's it for the news this time. Far over the misty mountains cold To dungeons deep and caverns old We must away break of day to find our long forgotten goal. So I guess that is it for this week's Rabbit's Rumblings. Again, no pirate's treasure. I have some interesting thoughts on EverQuest Next, which I didn't want to put in any of the main sections because it kind of throws things off whack quite a bit. About five years ago, there was a game announced that I was actually really interested in, and it was called The Agency. It was basically this sort of espionage spy, sort of third-person shooter-type game. But like I said, it was mostly espionage and spy-based. And they sort of presented it with two possible ways you could run missions. You could run it as you know, super stealthy and have a lot of disguise. Or you could just run it as, you know, total mercenary and just shoot and blow everything up. 
But why I thought this would be interesting to mention is because I wonder if a lot of those design ideas went into EverQuest Next. The agency wound up going through a couple of different revisions before it was eventually canceled. But the things that caught my attention with EverQuest Next, you know, in comparison to the agency, was they were both cel-shaded style animated games. The early trailers of the agency had, you know, the same sort of level of expressions that EverQuest Next has. They also emphasized on the fact that your class slash skills would depend on what you wore. So if you were into espionage and stealth, you would want to wear equipment like, you know, a silenced weapon or night vision goggles or, you know, maybe a fancy suit. Whereas, you know, if you wanted to just shoot stuff and blow stuff up, you know, you just wear explosive gear and heavy machine guns and stuff. So that same sense of, you know, your skills will be based on what equipment you have was also in the agency. And they were also going for, you know, 100% free to download and play. So I wonder, and probably will never know the answer to this, if, you know, some of those designers for the agency or, you know, at least the ideas and the core concepts that were established, you know, five plus years ago, actually went into one of the designs for, you know, EverQuest Next. I guess that's really it for this week. Can't think of much else I want or need to say. Probably have a couple movies to talk about next time. Maybe game thing. Not really much happening in the games lately. Again, I've got, you know, several beta applications out, but nothing's come back yet. So I guess that's really it for this time. Hopefully everybody had a good time. And I guess I will see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. Delete all that. The other... Uh, but I'm sure as time goes on and more news comes out about it, I will ramble about it. And... Because, you know, when... You know, if there were a few people out there who were on the ECI server, and who do... Who do do... So I had, you know, the basic D&D manuals to look through and look at a different... August 20th is the bunny's birthday day. So, happy birthday me, I guess. I guess that's in a few weeks. Whatever. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation... You can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdotcom. It's rabbit.com, but with 
not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space, and be sure to put the number 1 in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2013 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.